Today's guest was winning writing competitions as a child, but actually went on to study medicine. She worked for many years as a child psychiatrist, but then around the age of 40, she did her first writing course, after which, and I'm quoting this particular person, she was like a lunatic driving home full of ideas and lines for poems. Now fast forwarding to 2021, her debut novel, Words to Shape My Name, has been shortlisted for the Kerry Group Irish Novel of the Year Award. It tells a story of the relationship between Lord Edward Fitzgerald and his manservant, Tony Small. The British author, Hilary Mantle, describes it as an ambitious and vital novel with an epic sweep, a complex, timely story about liberty, equality, identity. This book is an act of salvage. It was long listed for the 2019 Bath Novel Award and was a winner at the 2020 Irish Writers Centre Novel Fair. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today, Laura McKenna. Your debut novel has left me with a really deep admiration for your writing and your ability to express so wonderfully details of someone's life that was so vastly different from your own. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you very much for that. And um, it's a pleasure to be here, actually, and have a chance to talk about um, both travel and my novels. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Laura. So just again, I've done this for many of the more recent episodes. We're recording this in August of 2021. Uh, We still have the pandemic, sadly, going on, even though there's a lot of vaccinations. And I am based in Spain and Laura is based in Cork in Ireland. Now, my favourite quote normally that I would always start off uh, the podcast with is wherever you go becomes a part of you somehow by Anita Desai. But in your case, Laura, I'd love to add a quote from Words to Shape My Name, which is on page 78. Those years of travel. A man cannot travel the world and be left untouched by it. Let's talk about these quotes, Laura. Uh, thank you, Jackie. And and yes, it is interesting that the book, um, my book, Words to Shape My Name, there is travel and journey uh, feature quite significantly in it, um, including the quote you mentioned. But maybe I'd start first with um, the quote by Anita Desai, um, wherever you go becomes a part of you somehow. And that's something I very much agree with. Um, I think even if you don't know how, how it's become a part of you or in what way you've incorporated it, uh, place places uh, do become part of you and now that may be just some memory that could be triggered long after the event it could be something one you've learned um, about a new culture or place or taken on board and that could be just the tiniest interaction something seemingly insignificant um, and of course there's also ways in which I suppose place can have almost a physical effect on you that there could be some embodiment of the place either you know, something bad that has happened or something good, but could leave some sort of physical mark on you. And I think sometimes that's something I feel if I go to a place that um, is very different and it's that first impression often, and that could be, it could be a visual thing. It could be some other sensory thing, which is almost, you know, that sense of it being seared on your memory, because actually I have a very bad memory, but those sort of memories are the things that almost seem to be seared on it in, in a, you know, like a visual, a kind of filmic image or a smell that can just bring mm-hmm. me right back there. So, yes, I do think um, wherever you go definitely becomes part of you. 
um, as Anita says in that quote. Um, but to go on then to the other one, which um, from the, my novel about those, a man cannot travel the world and let be, and be left untouched by it. And I think that that's almost slightly different from the first quote, which is about place, because this one's about travel and travel is, has a different quality to it. I, I, as I'm sure, you know, you're, you're very familiar with this yourself, Jackie, that, that sense of um, mm-hmm. it being active and it involves a leaving and an arriving. And I, that's, that's what I find particularly fascinating is the leaving. What are you leaving behind? And sometimes it can be, you know, bad things that are being left behind or sometimes good things. And then, so travel can become something, you know, it has those sort of binaries of opportunity and loss. And I think that in the book where the character of Tony Small, who was a man taken from his home country, a man who was enslaved forcibly, um, you know, there were huge losses for him in leaving his home country and then being brought to this harsh and inhospitable environment, you know. Um, So for him, that first travel was something terrible. The losses were terrible for him. But he then had the opportunity to travel the world along with... um, Edward Fitzgerald, and then there were opportunities there, and also opportunities with regard to his identity, which meant much of which had been left behind originally, but then he had a chance to change it. And I think that's the same for all of us who travel. There are opportunities, opportunities, you know, to meet new cultures and, and to learn, as Edward Fitzgerald in the novel did when he came into contact with other societies and he became more democratic. So there's huge opportunities as well as losses. And I find that really interesting and how identity is bound up in that. That's a fantastic answer. Yeah. And it's also very, very true in my own personal experience and I'm sure will resonate to a lot of listeners. Now, what places, Laura, have become a part of you in your life to date? Um, well, um, the first place, obviously, where I was born and raised, which was in um, Fox Rock, in Dublin. Um, and that was sort of a very, um, it was a new, new housing estate, relatively new. I mean, I have two older siblings, so they were the first in it and then me. Um, and we were a family of six in, I suppose, quite a middle class um, environment. So that that's where I was born and raised and where my mother still lives um, and a place I go back to, obviously, all the time. So still very much with me. Um, Within that, you know, growing up, there were, would have been visits to um, my grandparents, both in Glasnevin and up in Fermanagh. And Fermanagh was a very important place for me because it always seemed sort of otherworldly, as though I was almost entering a, um, a film or something. Um, and the whole mm-hmm. border element of that really came into play for me. I mean, I, maybe I could talk about that later, but um, yeah, that, that was a really Definitely. significant and, place. And let- Let's sorry to to interject there, Laura. Let's place Fermanagh for our non-Irish listeners, just to give the oh the, yes. the, 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 the placement of of Fermanagh because not everybody will know, you know. Okay, yes, sure. So uh, Fermanagh is in Northern Ireland, um, in Ulster, and it's one of the six counties separated by the border. And when I was growing up, the border was very significant. It was very scary and uh, for a child, well, for anybody. But, you know, those are memories that would stick with me of crossing the border and other funnier, funnier ones of crossing the border, the whole customs thing. But yes, that's where Fermanagh is. And my father's family lived in a very small village called Irvinstown. Um, okay. 
but it was, a, you know, a very interesting place for me as a child. So that was kind okay. of there where my childhood kind of places. Oh, and Rush, where we used to go on holidays, Rush in North um, County Dublin. That was a seaside place, an old style kind of holiday place. And we used to go there on holidays. Um, but then um, moving on to college, I um, you know, I had that kind of typical, in some ways, UCD holiday J1 visa trip to America <laughs> although yeah, yeah I know and it's a it's sort of a rite of passage isn't it nearly um I think so yeah. yeah yeah but in my case I a lot of people went to the east coast but myself and a friend of mine a good friend of mine we went to California where we worked in San Jose in a hospital both of us worked as nurses aides at the time we were both medical students mm-hmm. so we got jobs as nurses aides and just had an incredible experience actually traversing the coastline of California, you know, a fabulous time. Um, And then another opportunity that presented during um, those college years was to join what was called the what was it, the Medical Students Overseas Relief Fund, and whereby medical students um, travel to various countries um, with the purpose, I suppose, of helping out in some way, although that wasn't quite the case as it transpired in mine. Um, but I went to Malawi and we, we worked in a hospital, or we attended a hospital in Zamba, and it was the most incredible experience, both the people and the hospital and then the wider landscape and places that, that we visited. You know, that, that was something. Uh, oh, yeah, and I forgot to say, actually, that that followed on from a previous very significant trip for me which was to Kenya when I was 16 I won a, I won a local competition and spent two weeks in wow. Kenya yeah really that's a, yeah amazing and so young as well that must have had a, a big impact so like well we, we can explore that obviously in more detail um just going back to your childhood places Laura you know talking about you, you know we, we've got Fox Rock Fermanagh and Rush Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting kind of like contrast there isn't it um for the Irish people who will who will yes. who will get that obviously um do, do, do you feel that they sort of affected you like perhaps you know in your subconscious or creatively what what do you think about that I mean obviously I've been thinking about this and about place and places that affected me um and I always felt that my home place so growing up in Fox Rock I kind of think well now that didn't really um affect me but of course that's you know that simply isn't true you know it provided a place of kind of I suppose stability and even though I wasn't writing very much and I certainly don't believe I've used much of that creatively you know at the same time it provided the kind of the fertile ground for other things to come from because it was place where books were very much to the forefront. I know, you know, many big people say this, but it is true. We were those kind of nerdy children who went to Cabantilly Library during our summer holidays. <laughs> that was the excitement. I knew every where every book was on those shelves, and so would my siblings, you know. And then we'd swap the books and cycle our way back. So that was very, very much part of it, Yeah. Yeah, um, that's brilliant. And I was doing the same in Dundrum. <laughs> were you really? The local library. That's why I'm oh laughing, yeah. They yeah. were so important, weren't they? Um, totally. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that was important. Books were important. My mother was very keen on poetry. And actually my father secretly too, although he didn't, you know, he used to write his own ones because he was, he worked in as an engineer and um, 
So he wasn't expected to be interested in anything like poetry. But, but he had his moments. He used to announce in the mornings, I will arise and go now and go to the ESB. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and a small substation builder. So he had a bit of Yates in him after all. Um, but then beyond that, the holidays in Rush were that kind of once a year thing. We took a house for a few weeks or a month, I can't quite remember. And our cousins from England came over and we went about as a pack and we were kind of let loose, which is, was quite strange because at home we were kept on a very tight leash, really. My mother, you know, knew where we were for everything, but we were let have the run of that place. So it was a great experience, you know. That's quite a quite a contrast. So yeah. yeah, you were mentioning there, Laura, that your 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 father was an engineer that was for the um Ireland's electricity company, the SB. That's right. And yeah. When we were communicating before today, you were you also mentioned that your mum was really great at keeping yourself and your five siblings busy and on top of your schoolwork. Yes. Looking back and, and the lovely quote that you just mentioned about your dad there, looking back, how do you feel your parents contributed to the person you are today that I would consider to be a very high achiever and a creative person? Um, I think things were kept very steady at home. I don't really know how to explain that. My mother did take a great interest in our schoolwork and, um, you know, how we were doing. And I mean, she was one of those mothers <laughs> and still is. <laughs> who wants to know how else everybody else was doing mm-hmm. too. And, you know, where you were kind of, um, but took a real interest in it and in the teachers um, and kept us, you know, we did our work and, and kept us very steady. And uh, she had some great phrases coming up to exams, like you'll have to draw in your horns. I, we never quite knew what she meant, but <laughs> it was that we had to study. <laughs> it's not that we were up to okay. much anyway. And then my father had a more laid back attitude, but I suppose he, he probably just expected us to do, you know, to do what we should do. Um, mm-hmm. But but equally then they were very supportive and keen on doing, you know, the writing, little bits of writing or, you know, my sisters, two of them were very artistic. And again, they would have been very supportive of that, of, of um, art, etc. So, you know, it wasn't that they were sort of banging on about um, achievement all the time. There was plenty of room for other things, too. OK, that sounds quite almost idyllic, obviously very grounded in terms of, you know, it was just sort of naturally expected of you to, yeah, do, to exactly. do well and to do your studies, but yet, yet artistic. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, were there any other family members or teachers that you kind of remember as encouraging you back then? I think what I remember is that in my mother's family in particular, um, there was, you know, a very artistic streak. I've got an uncle, um, John Dynan, who's a professional artist. So, you know, there was, I, I wonder that's possibly where that our artistic thing came from. Um, with regard to um, teachers, I had a particularly good English teacher at school who sort of mm-hmm. often went off curriculum if you know what I mean and he 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 was great he was very supportive in a very laid-back way I mean I can't say he singled anybody out but you know I I think he was very appreciative of any you know work that was submitted that he that he 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 thought was good so yeah and I also had a really good history teacher um who certainly stimulated my interest in history which is very strong still Uh, yeah they were really good. Fantastic. So I, maybe I should mention their names. There was a, I can't remember. If you wish. Name, yeah. but the history teacher was a Miss Borden and the English teacher was Declan O'Neill. So, and, Okay, that's yeah. fantastic. So hope, hopefully 
one or both of them might somehow or other get to listen to this. Um, So (laughs) obviously you started writing as a child and what were you writing? What do you feel inspired you back then, Laura? Oh, I was, you know, I'd done, you know, all that reading that little ones do, um, I think often inspires people to think, I could do that or I'll have a go at that. So I was right, but it was really funny enough. It was more poems or ditties or whatever rhyming kind of things that I was writing rather than stories. Um, And I, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, my mother (laughs) was great at finding competitions. Now it sounds like I was entering a lot. I probably entered about three, three different things um, during those years, but little things like um, I think I won some Dublin County Council competition it was to write about trees. You were to write a story, but I wrote a little poem about a tree saving me from a witch when I was about seven or eight. And I won a beech tree as a result. So that was the kind oh. of thing I was doing, little poems. And, and what, how did you get the beech tree? How did that work? Oh, that was the prize. Oh, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know where it is, but it's certainly not growing in that back garden up at home. Now. I can tell you that much. <laughs> That's gas. That's that's a funny prize to give a child, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was a tree competition <laughs> about trees. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you did describe a poem in in your information before today's chat uh, that you wrote as a child, obviously uh, inspired by a Tony Christie song. As that's these were right. your words, yes. as as a as that's, a maudlin humdinger. Uh, I did a, what I did for Maria. I, like my parents, these are the songs we were listening to as children. Um, and um, yes, I wrote a poem about a similar poem, definitely inspired about a man who was waiting his last uh, morning before he was hanged. So a very maudlin song, our poem. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he has a vision of a, a visit from his mother, but it's not his mother, it's the jailer. So, um, yes, I, you know, there was that tendency to write um, maudlin, maudlin poems. And I, but it's not that unusual, I think, for children of that age to get a bit maudlin, and, uh, because I think children do, around that age, do start thinking about things. And I know the whole idea of, um, infinity and eternity and these sort of concepts used to nearly drive me nuts so you know there was a lot of thinking going on so it, it definitely chimed with me that kind of a poem and that kind of a song but of course my teacher refused to have it put into the end of year fifth class <laughs> anthology because it was far too maudlin so <laughs> not suitable <laughs> That, that's it. It's interesting. So, I mean, yes, I suppose you're you're right in, insofar as you say, and you would know better than most people, obviously, as you went on to work for a long time as a child psychiatrist, you know, you're right in saying, of course, that is something that is in the minds of children at yeah. that stage of life. It just, it, it grabbed me, but maybe there's nothing in it. It just grabbed me as being a little bit fascinating, given the subject matter of words to shape my name. Um, I just made that kind of connection to it, but perhaps there isn't really anything in that. I'm sorry, I, I seem to have lost you there, Jackie. Yeah. Can you can you hear me okay, Laura? Oh, you've come back again. Thank you. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> couldn't hear strange. you there for a minute. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. So yeah, I was just saying, do you see any sort of tiny connection between the subject matter, Tony Small, uh, with that kind of creative tendency that you had as a child, or would you not connect them at all? Um I suppose I, I there is a possible connection in that I was always interested in stories that um, 
you know, I, well, of course, I did go through my phase of all those romantic novels, but I was interested in the meteor topics, maybe, um, and um, the story of Tony Small and how it might have been for him, you know, that kind of persona thing, which I think is possibly what I was doing, taking on the persona of the condemned man and taking on a persona like in, in that novel. Yes, so there are, there are similarities, something outside of my own experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. And just going back to one of the places that we touched on really in the early stage of, of, of our chat a while ago, do you ever wonder about the impact of Fermanagh on you in any interesting kind of way, psych, you know, psychologically or creatively? Um, I, yeah, definitely has had an impact because it, it was like, I, I think I mentioned to you about um, crossing the border. That alone was bringing you into a different country, that sense you were passing over. And that was reinforced by immediately across the border. You know, the car felt smoother on the road. It was something you noticed instantly. The roads were smoother. The hedges were sort of trimmed. The countryside looked neater or something. And then at different stages, maybe not when I was very young, you'd notice things like the murals on the walls and the kind of red, white and blue um, curb edgings in certain villages. So there was the real sense of strangeness of a foreign country. Um, and then, you know, that, and then combined with my um, father's home place in, in Irvingstown, which his family used to have a bar and the bar was left, even when I was a child, it wasn't in use, but it was left exactly as it was. So it was like stepping into the past. And I think my father had filled my head with all these stories of his childhood and how, because that was the war years and there would have been Canadian soldiers and American soldiers in the bar. And he, my father had a real thing for the Yanks, as he used to call them, I suppose, because he had been a child then. And, and, and you know, I, it was like stepping back in time and I could, you could almost hear the conversations in that little bar. And um, it, it's, there's something incredibly evocative about that place for me. There's a, a, again, it's almost like it's, I'm seeing it in black and white or in sepia, you know, the past. It's like the past. <laughs> It's yeah, but it's fantastic. So, like, just hearing you speak about it, Laura, like, it does really make me think about did that sort of early experience of stepping into that other world and back in time, like, did that affect you to to do such an amazing job as you have with your your debut novel? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know I have written about that experience of that bar. Uh, it, it has come up in various things, like in short stories, and not not all of it, but just that's that sense of it, you know, Hmm. Um, and being almost in touch with another time. Um, And I, you know, there's certain films that I feel such a familiarity with, even though obviously I want, and they're usually war films. It's very strange and set, you know, the, the second world war, but that, and it's that combination of my father's stories and then being in the place where he said he'd heard all those voices speaking, you know? Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Now, you just going back to, to sort of when you were a young person, you went on to study medicine, but even so, you were winning writing competitions, as we've mentioned earlier on, uh, when you were young, one that you, you touched on very briefly when you were 16, that you won uh, a competition that led to you going out to Kenya. Talk to us, Laura, about the place, the experience, what, what kind of imprint did it leave on you? um oh gosh it was a it was a huge thing for a start I was young um 16 and it was just myself and another winner um another boy from local 
person because it was a local competition and off we went to Kenya and we were looked after kind of by different mission kind of groups and we were sent from you know one group to another but um we saw a lot that we wouldn't have seen if this had been a holiday for example um you know we were in Harare in the kind of shanty towns because there was some project out there that we were left and left there for the afternoon so you know we were talking with people meeting people um and it was just so out of my ordinary experience you know that those kind of meetings um seeing people living in different conditions um and then rural areas because we visited those and then you know apart from people then there was just the landscape which is just incredible and the insects played a huge part <laughs> in my mind they assumed gigantic proportions in the middle of the night of course those beetles that clack off the walls the, the sound of them they're so loud so oh it was a huge experience and an experience like of taste eating different foods and um, because I was a horribly picky eater so mm. it was an enormous challenge <laughs> at that age you know, and, you know, people giving you food, uh, you know, really so hospitable and polite when you knew they couldn't, perhaps couldn't afford this meal for, you know, me. So by golly, you, you ate it, you know. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it stayed with me incredibly. The smells of the place, um, yeah, really stayed with me. Still do. I can still feel it. Yeah. That's that's amazing. So, I think I mean you. I, I suppose people believe some people believe that you create your own luck in a way by winning that competition. You did create your own luck by having such a trip that you know very few sixteen-year-olds would have ever had the chance to experience. You know, mostly these days, obviously pre pre-pandemic days. I'm talking about. I mean, if a sixteen-year-old did, did go to somewhere like Kenya, you know, coming out of Ireland or England or wherever, it would be in a family situation, not in this unusual situation that you were in. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we were like at one stage, I remember um, my fellow um, traveler, Paul, um, was staying with some priests in um, in Harare, I think. But they I was I was placed in the local hostel on my own. And I remember thinking, (laughs) oh, but, you know, it was great and a great experience to have had, you know. Yeah, Fantastic. it really was. Yeah, I can imagine. So just uh, one of the things that occurred to me, Laura, when I was going through your notes, having read the book and so on, um, I couldn't help but wonder if you feel that you're a person who has more than one vocation. And what I'm referring to here is you obviously went on to study and practice medicine, um, but you are at the same time, uh, an excellent writer and communicator. So, yeah, this is sort of a question that came into my mind. What what, what do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I, I do think there's no doubt you can have more than one vocation. Um, and I don't think that the overlap between medicine and writing is uncommon. There's many doctors um, and other professions. There's many solicitors who, who go on to be writers as well. So... Uh-huh. And also, I think maybe medicine, in some ways, you're hearing so many stories from patients, you're very privileged, in fact, with the kinds of things people tell you about their lives. Um, So it does maybe enrich one's knowledge of other people and other lives in a way 
that yeah. could be used. I mean, I was always and have always been, and maybe that's why I, I'm more interested in historical fiction, very careful, though, about incorporating um, people's stories that I've heard um, through that part of my life, my professional of life, course, in yeah. my writing, um, very yeah, wary of that. And I would hate anyone to think I was using anything. So, But that's not the only reason I'm writing historical fiction. I'm also interested in past lives. And so um, I, you know, I, I also have, that's a draw for me. But there's no doubt that um, people's stories and listening to stories and those kind of narratives definitely influence, have influenced me uh, as a writer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would have been privy. And again, I take it on board that, you, you know, you're not regurgitating those details at all, but you would have been very privy to levels of details about, you know, people's minds and life experiences that not many people would be. Um, yeah, I would certainly have certain things there. Yeah. And even in writing this novel, um, you know, the protagonist who was, ta- in my fictional account of his life, was taken from his um, family and home and culture at an early age. So, you know, that was something I was thinking about how that trauma might have affected him. Um, uh-huh. So it does inform, it does definitely inform uh-huh. our, yeah, my writing. Yeah, that definitely comes across. <laughs> Very definitely comes across. And um, so, so, yeah, you were studying, obviously, we'll go back to your, your student days that you mentioned earlier on, Dublin's UCD, which is U- University College Dublin. Yes. Um, and you did, you mentioned, <laughs> you described it, Laura, as kind of a coming of age experience, uh, the J1 visa yeah. going stateside. And you were working in San Jose uh, in California as, as a nurse's aide and you did trips Talk to us in more detail, Laura, about that environment. That must have been a, a, a massive contrast, not only to, you know, your home area of Fox Rock in Dublin, but also to the trip that you'd done as a 16-year-old. Yes, that's true, actually. It, it, it really was. It was a completely different type of experience. Um, and it was all about doing things, I think, and people. Um, so, yeah, I worked as a nurse's aide in um the hospital in San Jose. And again, that was a completely different experience, even of medicine. Um, And I still remember people and patients that were there in great detail. And some of them had a real impact on me. You know, I used to write to one or two afterwards for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So both the the people in the hospital, both patients and staff, definitely, you know, really stand out in my mind. And one of the things perhaps about that was that there were a lot of different nationalities, whereas, of course, in Irish hospitals, it was mostly Irish people. But over there, you know, there were um, like your there were white Americans, there were black people, there were Mexican people, there were a lot of Japanese people. And it was quite interesting to see the different cultures. And I really it, it made an, an, <laughs> a real impression on me, actually. Um, and, and different people still stand out. But apart from that, that was the work. And then there was the travel. And it was like travel within travel. Um, we were, because again, I went with a friend of mine and we were always going somewhere. You know, we took any opportunities that came up and we used to say, can I bring a friend if one of us was asked? <laughs> We'd always bring a friend. So we had many very unusual experiences and went to many different places. But all the way down the coastline of California to um, Los Angeles and stopping at places like Monterey and Carmel, even thinking of it now, I think, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, what a time, you know, what great fun. It was fun, you know, 
real fun. Yeah, I like I, I like the fact you mentioned many unusual experiences. That sounds great. Oh, we did. You know, some places that we were invited to, <laughs> you'd think afterwards. One person invited us out to his house for a dinner and it was this mansion up in the mountains and he lived there alone and there were animals in different rooms in the house. Oh, really? So it was, he was the only one in the house. Yeah, it was a very strange place. Sometimes <laughs> I used to think that, was, that would be great material for a story, <laughs> but it all ended very well and he was actually a lovely person. I think he was only renting the enormous wow. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty unusual. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, no, no, that sounds like a, obviously a great time, and obviously had its you know influence on you at that time. Another of your student summer placements, Laura, was in Zamba in Malawi. Yes, and again, it struck me, you know, this is at least at least in, in my information, this was the second African country that you you went to as a still a relatively young person. Of course, now you're presumably around twenty something at this stage ish. Yes. Would you be? Yes, I think I was yeah. probably around 23, 22, 23, something like that. Um, yeah, okay. When I went there, yeah. Okay. And you you mentioned earlier that uh that particular trip was part of the medical students overseas relief. Um now I'd imagine that this had also a very big impact on you. I particularly enjoyed reading your notes about the smells, the jolts of memory. And the funny comparison to Wicklow, Laura, can you transport us a little bit there? <laughs> yes, it, it's a, uh, Malawi is a very beautiful country. And um, again, I, I, I think, I don't know whether you said something about being fortunate, but I, I feel I was so fortunate to go there. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's this medical student scheme where you bring out some supplies and some money that has been fundraised and then maybe help out in the hospitals. But um it was quite, and loads of people of my you know my year did it in other countries and really did help but this is the thing that the thing I, I often think back to I don't know do you know that Ted's talk by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and she talks about the single story and the dangers of it and I think for many of us at that stage in our you know going out to these different countries we would have had that single story of what it was going to be like and going there changed everything because at the hospital they treated us with such kind of grace and sort of charm and kindness but they didn't need us and that was made clear you know you can learn from us and you can come in we'll teach you and it was totally the opposite of what we had anticipated Um, how fascinating yeah and equally then we were staying in Zamba the grounds of Zamba University. We were staying in the house of a wonderful priest who was going home for the summer and he gave us his house. And we met different people then at the university. So there was the kind of people, um, you know, it wasn't that single story that we'd expected, which is the wonderful thing about travel. But then, as you were alluding to, there was the actual place itself, which was incredible. Uh, And the Zamba is sort of on this plateau and there's these hills, um, pine-covered, sides to the plateau that you can walk through and we we, you know one time we were doing that and thinking right god you could be anywhere we could be in Wicklow because we were coming to a lake and it was so beautiful and the pine trees and the next minute a band of baboons just sort of shot across our path and you know we were woken out of that Wicklow association but that you know that the place is 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 beautiful and I can still 
if I get a smell, a certain burning wood or charcoal smell, I am transported back there to that place, you know, and oh, you could stand on the, you could look out from the kind of hill over a landscape that went on forever, you know, just an endless horizon and see tiny villages and smoke and, you know, all those lives and just that beautiful place. Oh, it, it, it was a, a, a really terrific experience. And as I say, that it's when I heard um, that TED talk with Chimamanda Adichie talking about the single story that it, it mm. brought me back to that and my expectations and what actually happened and the difference. And that's you can only get that, I think, when you travel. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would entirely agree with that. And the way you've described it as well, Laura. The, the the emotion that comes into your voice is actually slightly different to the other places that you've that you've described. Really, um, yeah, yeah. I could hear like a slightly, you know, more emotive reaction to it, and the way you've described it, it just makes me feel from the view that you described towards the end there, like a sense of infinity. Well, yes, yes, and it's 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 funny you say that because we myself and my friend who were who went together there um we met these two other people they were americans and um they took us on that uh, one of those trips where we stood on this sort of ridge and looked out and they were equally overcome and i always remember one of them saying i have just the sense i've been here before you know and he hadn't really and it's that sense of of being part of something bigger i think because it's so hard to put your finger on it and describe it. But I think we, we probably all had that sense. And it's not just awe or kind of, you know, taking in beauty. There's more to it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't even describe it now, but I kind of knew what he meant. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, like that's a really, really interesting point. And mm. uh, something that we might, we might delve into in a bit more detail later on. Uh, <laughs> okay. so, yeah, one it just triggers one particular you know, concept that I have in my mind. Um, I loved this quote, Laura, from Words to Shape My Name. There was no hiding from that country, that life, that place. Place, another word with hidden meanings. Now, do you feel that that could apply to Malawi or any other place that you've been? How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, well, I suppose I, just to, to go back to the quote, which is taken when the character in the novel, Tony Small, when he comes to Ireland and he's I suppose, initially, anyway, treated as an object of interest. Everyone wants to know something about him, and you know where where his place. Almost trying, they're almost trying to find his place. Like, and in, and that's in the hierarchy within the servant kind of class. They want to know what his mm-hmm. place is. Is he? And so that's why he's mulling over place and having to know your place. And there's so many meanings for that word. But also, it's you know, there was no hiding for him. And that's because, of course, you know, he was a black man in Ireland in the 18th century. I mean, he was by no means alone, but he still would have been an object of curiosity. And you're, you know, the link there with Malawi, certainly, you know, we, you know, as white people, you would stand out, but it's still not quite the same because, of course, um, I think white people in, in, when they're in the minor- in a minority country, it, they're viewed in a different way than they would be, say, mm-hmm. in a place like Ireland. Um, but that sense of being slightly out of place or maybe viewed with curiosity or being looked at as different, again, it's, it's not necessarily even about colour of skin because I think there's places you can go where you just get that feeling 
Um, even in the north of Ireland, you know, there's certain areas perhaps where you might get that. Um, so place, yeah, and where you come from and your identity, I think it's all bound up in that. Um, and I think, yeah, you do feel that at times when you're in different places. You do feel slightly different, but um, not perhaps in the way that a black man in the 18th century might have felt completely alone in Ireland, you know. Mm. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, I mean, just when you're talking about it there, I suppose my own experience would be that there's a feeling of identifying with place. For example, when I travel back to Ireland and yeah. then re-identifying with Spain when I come back here. So there's like shifts that kind of go along with, with that behavior, if you like, you know. Yes, yes. And I think that's to do with your identity and how you feel you are in different places and what you're bringing with you to that place um, and the decisions you make about who you are in that place. Um, it can be quite different, can't it? Because you can go back to your old identity, like childhood home, you're the person you were. But, you, you know, we all present different faces in different places anyway um, and in different circumstances, different social circumstances. So, yeah, place is very important, I think, in that respect. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's absolutely exactly how I've, I would feel about it, Laura. Going back to your, we're back to your very colourful student days. <laughs> um, <laughs> later on, you spent some time in Australia. Whereabouts were you? And yeah. And what were you doing? And, and, and once again, a huge contrast to the other places. How did, how did Australia affect you as a person and creatively? Um, well, Australia now was when I was finished college. <laughs> so I had a ah, couple of years okay. work under my belt at that stage. And um, in fact, I had decided to go, you know, I had done two years working as a junior doctor in the hospitals and decided, well, two years was enough for that for the time being. And I decided to go to Australia. And um, again, I went out with a friend and then subsequently was joined by um, my husband-to-be. He wasn't my husband-to-be at the time, but um, that's mm-hmm. that's what he became. Um, <laughs> so um, we went to Melbourne and um, a lovely city. And it was like starting afresh. It's that thing you're saying earlier about identity and a new thing and a new place. And, you know, I had made decisions about what kind of work I would do. I was going to work in um, sort of do locums and in GP practices to have the freedom then to travel if I wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. But Melbourne, lovely city um, to live in. Um, I thought, of it, you know, I think it still is. Um, but, um, you know, lovely, all different kinds of cultures there again and different foods and lots of different things to experience. So, it was, you know, I, I thought it was a lovely place to live. And then, of course, there was all the travel beyond Melbourne, you know, locally, the Dandenongs with those fabulous kind of mountains and the eucalyptus. And again, the smell of walking in a eucalyptus mm. forest. It's like nothing else. Um, and then, of course, you know, we traveled well beyond it, including I did a locum in Tennant Creek in, in the, the Northern Territory. It's sort of the middle of nowhere. And mm-hmm. I think the middle of nowhere gets a bad rep. in many times (laughs) many cases especially the middle of the northern territory because as people say it's boring but of course I I, you know it's not boring the landscape isn't boring and the colors are incredible you know given changes in time of day and clouds although there weren't too many of those but um it it was a fabulous experience driving from Alice Springs in a bus up to Tennant Creek 
And I remember it was nighttime and the headlights were picking up these, I don't know, do they call them troops or bands of kangaroos just sort of plodding along. They seemed to be keeping pace nearly with the bus at the side. You know, you could just barely see, catch them in the lights of the bus. So That must be amazing. And then a, a really incredible experience working out in that. T- it was a tiny hospital and sometimes you had to go out in the plane, you know, to stations, you know, those cattle stations and so on. So, yeah, it was, it, it was a terrific experience, I must say. And, and then, you know, the colour, as I said, that red. And then to contrast them with, say, a place like Cairns or Cairns, as the, as the Australians say, and the colour of, the, you know, the vegetation, like bright shots of kind of oranges and reds and, and then the sea behind and the mountains, you know, mountains one side, sea the other, the barrier reef ahead. Ooh, just fabulous place. Mm. Wow. It sounds absolutely on a par with your your description uh, of the place in Malawi that we discussed earlier oh. on, you know, sort of in the same same category, is it? Um, it was different because, yeah, there was um, still a bit of excitement. Malawi wasn't so much excitement. It was just really being, I think, if I can put it like that, whereas... Australia was moved, there was a lot of moving and um, travel and it was, ex- yeah, it, it was exciting. And I remember I was in Cairns thinking, walking down the street, thinking, here I am, you know, the sun is shining, there's these palm trees, these beautiful, you know, they have those wooden houses and raised houses and, and the verandas. And then I was thinking, back home now, people are trudging into work in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> in the winter into the matter hospital or something <laughs> but i'm not yeah you're <laughs> you were obviously feeling happy with the decision you'd made at that time oh, I, which was. Is, uh, I was i yeah, never regretted great. it ever <laughs> great mm. now so moving on to the chap that you mentioned at that stage wasn't your husband to be you did get <laughs> married obviously and then <laughs> and then yourself and himself you settled for around 10 years in England that's so right so where yes. in the where in England were you kind of how did this affect you well this was sort of that period when you know lots of medical training you had to go somewhere else for you know my husband was doing emergency medicine and so the training scheme was in England so there was a fair bit of moving and we started out in Canterbury in Kent Mm -hmm. and we were staying near this little village of Chillum which is like a a, a Tudor village and now that was like feeling like a stranger (laughs) in a strange land really yes (laughs) I found um Kent and those red brick you know I associate red brick I suppose with cities or you know Georgian and all that kind of thing and then we were in um there were all these farmhouses. Everything was red brick. It just seemed really uh-huh. strange. And the village was so old and dinky and, I, you know, almost ridiculously beautiful and ancient looking. Um, so that was a lovely place, though, to live. I mean, I, I enjoyed living in, um, in Kent. And then after that, two years, we moved to London. And it was like going from kind of dinky film set into Lewisham, which was quite the opposite, a busy, busy inner London kind of um, urban area. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it had its charms too. And that was another two years there. Um, and um, then we moved to just outside Bristol to a place called Backwell, which was lovely. Um, you know, it, it had the best of both worlds. It was sort of semi-rural, but so close to the city. And Bristol's a really interesting city as well. 
And mm-hmm. that time, really, how did I spend it? It was you know four children in that during that time, and so so you were you were kept very busy. It was busy. Obviously. It was busy. That's right. Yeah. So I don't think I was doing anything. I, I wrote one little poem, uh, kind of a, a thing for my children. Not that they were the slightest bit interested, anyway. But called Lulu the Spider, and it was sort of a take on the story of Miss Moffat. You know. So it was a rhyming story in the line. I used to think, oh, I could do one of those. But anyway, they weren't interested in it either. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it just strikes me, I suppose, like on all the places because of, you know, your background, you know, studying medicine and then obviously going on and practicing. Yes. You have an amazing tapestry of contrasts there to, to sort of work with, don't you, Laura? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky to have visited so many places and lived in them, you know, not just, sort of, I suppose, on a holiday, but actually living in them. Um, even within the UK, they were very different kind of experiences, actually. Um, so, yes, it, it, it certainly has given me a lot of, of scope for stories. And yeah. I, I think possibly more in my short stories, those kind of scenes might come up, little snippets from places like that. Um, certainly, um, yeah, would have been in some of my short stories. Um, not so much poetry, really, I don't think. My poetry seems to be very set in Ireland. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's um, very interesting. Definitely, yeah. It's hmm. So that's where, that really brings us to the present day, actually, because you have been living just outside of Cork City for around 18 years now. And I looked, it's an area, I, I haven't actually been to that particular part of Cork, so I obviously did what everybody else, what everybody does, I Googled it. Um, and it appears, at least visually, to be very nurturing and inspirational. Is it, Laura, for you? Oh, it is, actually. Uh, coming to Cork, I think... It was sort of, that's where my kind of writing sort of took off. Um, hmm. And I, I went on a, within a year or two of coming here, I went on a weekend course. I think you mentioned that already, the one in Dingle, where I, it was yes, oh, somebody yeah. triggered a switch. That's what it felt like. I felt like I'd been turned on, turned on, like the kind of writing thing, the creativity was turned on and I, off I went. It was, off you go now. And, and that's what I did. Off <laughs> I went. And as a result of it, you know, I took part in various things around Cork itself. You know, there's uh, there's lots of places where you can go to kind of meet up with other writers to do workshops. I found it incredible for that um, and, and did lots of little courses here and there with the Munster Literature Centre. And then there were other places too um, and gradually built up on that and then developed kind of a circle of writery friends, and which is so lovely and, hmm. yeah, really helpful. And then I went on to do other things, you know, up in UCD related to writing and then in UCC and just built up. It's, it's a lovely community. And, you know, it's been a wonderful thing for me, actually. Um, I've made great friends through writing, really have. And, um, yeah, so the place I live in is called Waterfall, which is just outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, even apart from the writing, it's a lovely place to be, lovely friends. And kind of uh, that's where the children went to primary school and then secondary school. So it's it's been, yeah, a really lovely place to come back to in Ireland. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you also mentioned, Laura, uh, that you spend time fairly frequently in, in one of Ireland's most beautiful places, the Bearer Peninsula. 
does this place trigger you creatively? And, and if so, what aspects of it do this for you? Um, I would say Bera is really important in, in terms of where I've come to with my writing. Um, mm-hmm. Because the place is, as you said, it is spectacularly beautiful. Um, it's got, it's sort of steeped in history and mythology. And the, you know, the beauty of the place is not just in the kind of landscape itself, although, you know, some of those, you know, the sort of the geology of it, those rocky kind of mountains are incredible to look at, at different times of day and so on. But, you know, there's also the natural, I'm, I'm really interested in wildflowers and um, this, it was down here that first got me down in Bera that got me started on that. I can never look down without trying to see see can I see something different so you know and that's that's had a huge impact too because I my certainly in poetry a lot of this is, is about nature and landscape and place names and things like that which I think are mm-hmm. really important the local kind of place names um uh, you know and they're of course disappearing in a lot of places but I love the sound of them even though I don't always understand them I have to look them up it's not as though my Irish is any use I have to <laughs> I have to check them out but I'm very interested in that. And I found that it has really inspired poetry and a number of short stories. Um, and at different times, you know, it comes in waves. I remember one time I was doing an online course in Haiku and I was walking the lanes around um, Iris and everything seemed to lend itself to sort of that five syllable, seven syllable pattern. <laughs> I, was going, I was nearly <laughs> thinking in haikus. So, you know, it really is a, a very... It's a it's a very nurturing, inspirational kind of place. I think that's amazing. I mean, you've you've obviously made some really good decisions from our chat so far today in terms of the places that uh, you've you've spent time in, and obviously this is your your longest time, I guess, separate to when you were a younger person. But it would be longer, actually, I suppose, almost at this stage, considering yeah. Your, yeah. your travel from. No. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It probably is. It's about, well, and because we used to come here, of course, every summer holiday, even when we were in England. So, yes, this has been a very long, a very long place in my life, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you've made some great choices for yourself there, it seems. Now, go- going back to your novel, Laura, there's another quote. I mean, this, this obviously it's full of quotes, but I, 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 we'd be here for weeks if I was to, <laughs> to use lots and lots of quotes. Um, this one struck me always talk of memories he wondered which was worse to be somewhere that reminded you always of before or to live in a place so absent of memory that you had no connections no past now reading your novel words to shape my name it made me really admire your ability to get inside someone someone else's skin and mind if you like especially someone with such a starkly different life story to your own how do you do this laura what 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 is your process um, well, part of it is, of course, the sense that this was a real person, which, of course, Tony Small was a real person. And I go with what kind of information I have about him. But, of course, that doesn't tell you anything about what somebody was thinking or feeling or, you know, what their consciousness is like, which which is difficult to do with somebody who's still alive. Of course, we, and we hardly know ourselves sometimes, I think, let alone <laughs> spying inside somebody else's mind. But... Um, I think, you know, it is that thing of imagination, really, and trying to think what, you know, 
what would it have been like to be displaced like that, for example, um, Uh to have no connections? And in some regards, what we touched on earlier about working as a child psychiatrist, I suppose, in addition to that kind of element of imagination, I probably have a certain um, base of, you know, knowing how trauma or separation kind of, you know, and Mm -hmm. difficulties with attachment and so forth, how that might affect a young person. And so it was to imagine it in the context, not of something long ago, but how it would affect anybody in this, you know, anybody in contemporary times as well. So not to always be putting it into the past. That's that's one of the ways I try to do it. You know, what would it be like to be really separate from everybody, from all your roots and anybody who could tell you something about your past or your family? You know, that horror, that awful, awful level of trauma and displacement. Now, of course, I'm only imagining it because I haven't experienced it. So you're just doing your best, I think, and you're doing your best to enter into it in a way that's respectful of, well, that's what I always felt to try to be respectful of this person who was real, who walked, you know, who walked this this earth and, you know, had feelings and thoughts of his own. So none of them are his thoughts that I'm writing. They're just, I have to accept that it's my imagination of how it might have been. Um, but just to do it as well as I can and as truthful to the circumstances he was and the constraints he was living under. That was something I, I really felt that not to impose um, contemporary ideas about how he could should have been or could have been because he, he wasn't living with contemporary ideas and knowledge and so forth. You know, he had to be a man of his times at the same time. So balancing that kind of trying to make have a contemporary understanding but without imposing contemporary views on how he might have been. Mm. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm making okay. any sense there. <laughs> no, you, to- you totally do. You totally do. And I got that. I'll be honest with you. I'm not saying it just to make you feel good. I really got that from the book. You know, really, really got oh, that from good. the book. That Thank you. This was the intention and you carried it out. You know, you delivered it really fantastically so I I totally got that now one of the things we kind of (laughs) we kind of almost went there a little earlier on in our chat uh, when you were talking about almost feeling like you'd been there before Mm. and I said to you we might chat about this a bit later now I did toy when I was thinking about your method and how you managed to pull it off so exceptionally well you know getting into the skin of Tony Small uh, obviously you know centuries ago and the, the situation being so different to your own life, I did toy with the concept of reincarnation or sort of something along those lines that would enable somebody without, you you know, you wouldn't even necessarily have to agree with the idea, but it could be something that runs there. I don't want to say in your consciousness because I don't think it would be there or subconscious. How do you feel about those possibilities? Is that something that you you would just dismiss straight away or would you entertain at all? Um, you know, I, this, as you say, came up and I would, my first response would be, no, I don't believe in reincarnation. And then there's the sort of the border of that definite statement is sort of a little bit <laughs> porous, you might say. Um, because I've often, you know, even with my own children, I would have said, oh gosh, she's an old soul, you know, I don't know that I'm actually thinking it's, you know, she's a recycled soul, but I might have said that about one of my children, you know, she's an old soul. She's been here before without really meaning it, but I would say it. And then on the other hand, I contrasted with another when my children, this is when my children were small, you know, and their temperaments are so clear at the beginning. Um, 
another one I would have said, oh, God, he's a newbie. He, he hasn't been here before. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I do believe that things are handed down into, you know, generation on generation there and there's a, there's even studies on this intergenerational trauma how it's incorporated you know in memory kind of cultural memory intergenerational memory and where I don't know what level that's at whether it's at a DNA level um who knows I don't know mm. but I mm. I do think we feel links to the past and some are stronger than others and some come out like in that sense that I had up in, you know, I was talking about my father's place in Fermanagh, that sense of, of it, it being from somewhere really close to me. Now, whether it's just hearing those stories, I can't say, but you know, we're all made up yeah. of atoms ultimately, you know, and they're all being shared around. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's mm. sort of a massive scientific stroke, you know, perhaps psychological discussion that mm. you know, yeah. probably could take an awfully long time and, and probably still not come to, you know, a final conclusion. But I I just find it very curious, especially while reading the book, you know. Um, so that's why I wanted to ask it. So yeah. interesting response, Laura, interesting it, it response. Is, it's an interesting topic. Um, I mean, I wouldn't make any claims to... Um, having been reincarnated from Tony Small. But um, <laughs> but as a general kind of principle, I, I think, yeah, I just think there's something beyond what we can actually prove at the moment, you know. And, and sure. as I say, there are there are studies on it. And certainly in terms of trauma, there's studies on the, how that is passed down through generations, you know. So why why wouldn't it go a little further than that, you know. Yeah, that makes loads of sense. So, listen, heading back to the Bearer Peninsula that mm. we talked about a little while ago, we're, we're we're looking at days where it's considered safe to travel. Um, I know it's in the recent months, obviously, travel has opened up to a certain a certain mm. extent. Anyway, again, but if I was to go to that area, where would you recommend for me to stay there, Laura? Um. The Bera Peninsula itself, most of the kind of bigger accommodations are in places like at the top of it, nearer to the top of the peninsula, as in uh, stuck more closely to the solid land, um, you know, like Bantry and Kenmare mm-hmm. and Glengariff. There's loads of places to stay there. But I see nowadays loads of people are coming with their camper vans. And so they're getting further down the peninsula into places, you know, beautiful places that they can park up. And of course, there's bed and breakfasts and houses around the peninsula as well. And even glamping has even come into Iris. And actually, Iris has, you know, a motor van park. That's, that's a huge difference that I've noticed this year is the upsurge in people in those, what do you call them, mobile travel sure. vans. Yeah. But the, I, I think many possibilities. You could be in a beautiful hotel or, you know, you could go out more into the, the community and the peninsula itself. And there are some beautiful places. Okay. That would be more my cup of tea, mm. I think, when you're, mm. you want to sort of immerse yourself into yes. the landscape and the experience of being there, you know, with the local people and so on. So what sites would you take me to see or recommend for me? Um, well, I'd probably drive you around the peninsula, around the, the, the coastline. And there's many detours to take. But... You know, there's the actual drives themselves are so spectacular. There's one, the drive between Iris and Alahis, which um, takes you kind of up and over the mountain and down, and you come down 
and you just the view opens up in front of you. It is absolutely spectacular. Um, mm. And you can see out to see, you can see the bull, the cow and the calf. And, you know, you're go driving past the Alahi's mines, the old copper mines from, um, mm-hmm. and the, you can still see the relics, the old buildings um, on the hilltops, really odd looking things that stick out at you. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, I think there's so many places you know, they're not really touristy attractions. Like, for example, going over to Jersey Island on the cable car. The cable car itself, though, is an attraction because it's such an unusual experience. The only cable car <laughs> that we have. And, um, yeah, you'd kind of some people find that very nerve-wracking going over because you can see the sea down yeah. below. <laughs> have you, you been on it, Jackie? No, I haven't, but I have a horrible, horrible <laughs> fear of heights. <laughs> Which which hasn't been improved by falling many years ago. I fell from the attic in my mother's house Ooh. down to the next floor. Ooh. So the okay. cable car will not be on I my list of things the list. to do. Okay. No. Well, then you won't be getting to Jersey Island. That's the only way. No, well, really. I'll probably have to admit omit that from my yes. uh, <laughs> from my wish list. I think, um, but it does sound amazing. Obviously, for people who aren't, you know, with the with the issue that I have. And what about restaurants there, Laura? Is there any that particularly stand out that you would like? highly recommend or bring me to again they're all small now i i haven't been out much to tell you the truth in the last year or so but um, no no it, i think what's lovely is to go to the little cafes like there's iris and um, has got um a cafe there which is lovely and in the summer um uh, there's this beautiful little place i think her name is evie and she opens up and she's little tables out on the street um like across the street up the street she'll bring you your cups of tea it's like a tea shop and mm-hmm. she'll bring you your tea and cakes and so on, um, which is lovely. You know, it's not a, it's not like a, a big, busy place, but there's something really nice about sitting on the street in Iris, which, of course, is a beautiful village. Um, all those brightly colored buildings. It, it's gorgeous. Um, and then Alahis has a mining museum, you know, and they have a lovely cafe there, too. And Castletown Bear, which is a very functional fishing town. You know, you'll find some lovely places there as well. Really nice. Okay. Mm. So there's 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 obviously plenty to choose from. I'm yes. I'm guessing is it the same for the bars or is there anything particular that stands out? Um, the bars again. There's a lovely one. Iris has a very small one, but it'd be very much like it's it's tiny inside, but you'd certainly get the feeling of an old time bar. It's called O'Shea's Pub. And then in um, in Castletown Bear itself, a lot of people would visit McCarthy's Bar. Um, uh-huh. and it was well known. It's on the cover of, I don't know. Do you remember Pete McCarthy, the travel writer? He went searching yeah. for McCarthy's in Ireland and that bar is on the front of his book, McCarthy's okay. bar. Yeah. Um, and, and there's Plastic. lovely stories attached to that bar and, um, the sort of, um, the man who used to own it. So it's kind of, it's, a, it's very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, that sounds that sounds like one that I can I can do. I don't have any difficulty with the any heights or <laughs> anything strange there. Um Lord, obviously one of the main questions that I'd like to ask before we finish our chat is are you working on an, on any new books, poems, short stories, anything in the pipeline at the moment? Um, I'm working, I have written some poems. I'm hoping to write some more because it was to do with the Barra Peninsula, actually, funny enough, and um, uh-huh. related to the botanist, the 19th century botanist, Ellen Hutchins, who um, lived in Ballylickie near Bantry. 
And Mm -hmm. it was related to her letters and the landscape around there, which is very beautiful and which was beautifully presented. I will just get that in um, Marianne Lee's book. She wrote a novel about um, Ellen Hutchins, who was a remarkable woman, you know, for her time, kind of early 1800s. Terrific book Uh about her. So I have poems about that, but I'm also then writing another novel, which is about a real person again. And it's set a little later than the last one. It's it's set around the 1820s. And it, it okay. again incorporates quite a bit of travel and places outside of Ireland. So even though the person is Irish, it's, it's more set um, in Italy and um, other places as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And what stage is that at? Or, or do you have a publication date for that? I or, don't, or? thankfully, because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in big trouble if I did. <laughs> so I'm at the early writing stage I've done a lot of research Um, I actually want to do some site you know visit some of the places that that will be featured in the book just to get kind of the atmosphere and the you know the time of day you know the way the sun would be etc all those sort of details yeah so okay so we don't have obviously uh, a working title or a publication date this is something that you could always update me of in the future and I could I could pop it on the notes for the podcast oh well thank you whenever you get to that stage yeah that's yeah that's right it's very much a work in progress yeah grand excellent okay so it's it's great to hear one 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 last question that kind of popped up um with with some of my guests because of the fact that we're you know all obviously going through living through the pandemic did did, did did that affect your creativity creativity one way or the other, Laura? Um, it did. Now I can't say whether you know, having finished the first novel, it would have my creativity as such would have gone down anyway. You know, sure, that, yeah, that yeah, there would have yeah. been a spell, a dry spell, you might say. Um, yeah. But yes, I think it did. Um, but it has picked up again, thankfully, and I was still able to do research, which which I love doing anyway. I love reading around the topic and finding out things and ferreting things out. So, you know, that kept me very busy, which was great. Hmm. Fantastic. Brilliant. Listen, it was a a really, really interesting conversation, Laura, that that I really enjoyed having with you today. Thanks a million for taking the time to be with us. Oh, thank you, Jackie. And thank you for those really interesting questions because they really made me think about things and go back to things that, um, and places in my head that I haven't been in quite a while. Um, so thank you. It was great. Well, it was my pleasure. And you gave some absolutely fa- fabulous answers, Laura. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much.